The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. This is your United States of America. It is Saturday, November 16th, 2019, and you are tuned into the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by the Roar Network at thegorillaposition.com. Presented by Hami Media. And in association with Last Word on ProWrestling.com. On this week's show, we're talking CM Punk, ROH, the Wednesday Night Wars, and I look forward to next week's War Games and Survivor Series. But before we dive in, it's my obligation to remind you this is a podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news that is news from across professional wrestling world. Find the entire HTM Podcast Network online, hittingthemarks.com. My name is Jargo. I'll be your host for the day. That's my tag team partner. He's the man, the myth, the legend, the real RBB. Rick, you're welcome. Iowa has defeated unbeaten minnesota it's me it's me it's that r to the b to the v another super saturday here in college football and i i don't know i don't know if i'm gonna accept uh you know whatever that is that you're offering out here you, you think i'm supposed to welcome that with some gratitude i don't think that minnesota losing in this case again is good for the big 10 these teams that, that seem to get something rolling behind them, that they're going to be worthwhile to give you some credibility and your strength of your schedule. They keep folding. They keep folding because they know coming at them are those Buckeyes. They are buckling under the pressure, and we've seen it again here with Dan Minnesota Gophers. So, I mean, where is the strength going to come from? Well, we need something to propel the best damn team in the land back to number one. And the way this is playing out, I'm afraid it's not going to get done. But, hey, we've got a hot run. But, unfortunately, Jargo, you laid it out here. It's a great show that you put together. Most of the action, the hot action, is not even happening inside the ring. No, most of it's happening on the gridiron, man. The biggest fight that I saw this week was the Cleveland Browns and the Pittsburgh Steelers right there in your freaking backyard. Huckleberry, we, we, we talked about even doing a special HTM sports just for this entire situation with what's going on with the Browns and the Steelers. Oh, yeah, they got to play each other again in two weeks. Rick, was this the fight of the week? I know Ryan Bowman over at the Global uh, Globalization.com. You know, he put out, he was answering a question. I know you got into a little debate with him there, uh, talking about match of the year up to this point as we're getting ready to close out the calendar year. I, I, don't, I don't know about the year, but definitely the match of the week, the match of the month happened Thursday night football, closing seconds, Pittsburgh Steelers, Cleveland Browns. And, and as you said, hey, I, I said, hey, let's just do an entire special spinoff episode of Hashtag HTM Sports because, brother, here in the heartland, I got two takes on this. You're going to get two sides of the story from the RBV, and they're both going to be hot. I, I, got, I want to share with you the take from Cincinnati Rick and from Cleveland Rick. Ooh, there's something to look forward to later on on this week's show. Uh, Huckleberry, I guess as far as the world of professional wrestling goes – 
there's really only one place to start. CM Punk has returned. Well, kind of. CM Punk returned this week on WWE Backstage. Uh, Rick, this show was viewed by 100,000 people just out of nowhere. The return of CM Punk. What do you think? What's your initial thoughts? And now that it's had a couple of days to sink in, the reality of this situation. You know, first, personally, as from a viewer standpoint, maybe you, you can enlighten me here a little bit. I, I had asked over in the Hominy Media Discussion Group on Facebook. I didn't get a lot of yes, follow-up on the replies with it. Uh, I get to check this thing out. Uh, immediately when I heard that they had brought on board, that they signed the deal with, with the devil uh, of the devil's all dirt sheets, that ultimate leftist bigot, Ryan Satin. I had boycotted this thing. I didn't want anything to do with it. So I'm not even really sure what this show is about. Does it operate under the guise of KFAB or reality? Or do they kind of blow those lines? I mean, what exactly are they trying to present here on this, on this backstage? I think it's a little bit of both. I think what they're trying to do is to bring in the personalities kind of behind these characters. So this week we had Adam Cole on the show. We had Samoa Joe on the show. And yeah, they're being their characters, but they're, you know, what they say when you're in a WWE ring, you take your personality and you turn it up to 10, right? This is the character turned down to about six, if that makes any kind of sense. Okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking most of the characters, they're lucky if they even reach six. Uh, but yeah, I guess we got the curve. We got the WWE curve there. Well, this uh, we're is, grading this thing. This is the same so, thing. I, I like what you're saying. When, when, you, when they send a WWE superstar to go do a radio interview or to do a television interview... That's kind of the same thing that you're getting on WWE backstage. Okay, so they're not necessarily coming out and saying, hey, 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 you know, uh, I'm not Samoa Joe, I'm just Joe. But, you know, it's they're, they're still driving that narrative, but they're just scaling back a little bit. Yeah, they're, they're, they're still advancing storylines. They're, they're all. It seems as though, like, all these interviews are actually inside the WWE canon to kind of relate it to Star Wars terms, which doesn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense. But if you're a Star Wars nerd, you'll understand what I'm saying. Um, so it it's inside of the WWE universe, but it's not necessarily as bombastic. So, like, this week they have Adam Cole on there. He's not wearing his trunks and, and you know has the championship around his waist. He's wearing a nice suit and he's holding the title over his shoulder and he's going out there and he's just having a regular old conversation. And they're not necessarily talking about what, what a dirt bag Adam Cole is, what a dirt bag, the undisputed era is. They're just kind of giving you more insight into the personality of Adam Cole. Okay. So maybe get that connection. Cause I, I'd seen like this, this past week, uh, which happened to be, you know, the the unexpected, if you will, debut of CM Punk, which I'm obviously going to jump into. But I also saw on that show that they had uh, that Fluffy, the comedian, on, and they went to like promo school with him. Mm -hmm. uh, so him and Joe were interacting. So that's that's what I was kind of wondering, like, like did they go in there and Joe, like, it was just like a game show sort of deal, or okay, so they're blurring the lines there. They're making these people seem a little more human and humble, hoping to kind of get that connection. Uh, with with that sort of viewer. 
Absolutely. All right, I got you, I got you going here. Now, I guess now on to the bigger picture here. Now, obviously, that's what everybody is buzzing about. Uh, it is the return of CM Punk. He is on a WWE program, and I and people are a lot of people seem to still be very confused about this. Uh, he's actually not an employee of the WWE. He was hired by the network to represent them on a WWE program. Uh, and a lot of people, in, I guess, one of the first reactions, and I know you and I pretty much stand on the same side here. I, I don't get the, you know, those that are just beating at her pock that, you know, this, he's, a hypocr- he's a hypocrite. This is the, the highest form of hypocrisy that are beating that horse. I, I don't get that. Not at this point. I mean, I I will understand it a whole lot more if you see him make his way into a WWE ring. But at this point, he's just working for Fox. The way that this thing was pitched to CM Punk, there's actually a killer video that they put out about CM Punk's return to this WWE backstage. It's like, I don't know, eight, nine minutes long. But Punk says the way that this thing was pitched to him was we have... Alex Rodriguez for baseball. We have Troy Aikman for football. And now we have CM Punk for professional wrestling underneath of the Fox umbrella. Those are the analysts who have been there, who have done that, who have done everything that there is to do inside of the business that appealed to Punk. Okay, so now he's working for Fox, but he has to talk about the WWE. He's going to be interviewing WWE superstars. Like, I cannot imagine on any plane of existence where Rusev comes walking into WWE backstage and Punk doesn't just let this guy have it. Well, I think, you know, he's going to, he's going to push that envelope. And you got to believe that's what Fox wants. They, they don't want someone that's going to be an absolute yes man for you know, WWE or I was going to say the league, you know, you know, comparison like the NFL, major league baseball, NHL, whoever it could be there for the league. I mean, you want someone that's going to, especially in wrestling, you, you want that, that wedge to be there, create that drama, create that controversy. And they, you got to think that they firmly believe that a controversial figure that has created so many waves like CM Punk is the perfect option for that. Well, and the ratings kind of speak for themselves. Rick, you and I both know YouTube hits don't necessarily account for anything. But when you're doing a surprise return on a TV show that last week had 49,000 viewers, this week had 100,000 viewers. So they doubled their audience, but the ratings are still in the toilet. What do you do? So they bring CM Punk in. This video has been viewed on YouTube 4 million times at this point. Well, you know, we are usually those ones that, you know, we're right on top of that. Don't invest too much into social media. And when we speak about that, we mean long term. If you're using it as an advertising tool to pull people towards your product, then absolutely. That's a great, that's a great marketing strategy. That's a great measuring stick. Now, the biggest thing is, what percentage of that, those views, that 4 million, are going to actually take that time on Tuesday night? What does this air at 10 or 11 Eastern? Um, 11 o'clock Eastern, I believe. Okay, 11 Eastern. How many people are going to take their time, whatever they're done for the evening, they're laying in bed, whatever, on the couch, getting ready to call it a night, are going to take their time and actually tune into this program? And we're going to see how, you know, what is that, how's that translation going to work? That's going to be 
uh, the biggest sticking point here. But to go back real quick to, you know, if he's a hypocrite, even if he signs with WWE, I'm still not buying that. Now, how many years has he been gone? Five years? Five years. Which, you know, it's five years. Right for less than many 30. How many times in our life have you sworn something off or how much have you just personally changed over a period of time, like five years, you know, or something you, you've hated something at some point, but you forget, you forget, you move on. And now we're talking about something, you know, professionally that can, it can satisfy you financially. that can move you up to that next bracket that can take care of you, you know, further down the road here, maybe where something didn't work out as you had planned. I don't believe it's a hypocrite at all. I think what the sticking point there would also need to be is how he represents and how he handles his business and what kind of deal he would get done if he goes back. We've had a number of reports dropping, you know, just this afternoon concerning Vince McMahon. We're going to talk about those throughout the show here. But one of the big ones that came out earlier today, William Alessio from Last Word on Pro Wrestling and with us over in Honey Media Group, uh, was out there reporting there was a major blow-up between Triple H and Vince McMahon themselves. I mean, to the point, where they just had to separate. They had to part ways. Before the end of the meeting, Triple H had walked out or whatever the case might have been. They were not happy with one another. And it was an argument over the possibility of offering and then signing CM Punk to a deal to actually perform under, actually under the WWE banner once again. Vince believes that he's a hot commodity. He has that crossover, uh, you know, like a, like a Kane, like a Tyson Fury, like a Ronda, uh, like a Gronk. They were, they were talking about in the report that they might offer something, even less dates, but close money to Brock. Uh, and Triple H kind of just lost his, you know, lost his mind with it, believing that, that CM Punk is not that draw, that he's not going to pull in that, that consumer base, that they didn't see eye to eye on that. You know, that, that's something that they're going to have to consider going forward. What's the value there? But if you're CM Punk and you get offered a deal like that, I'm sorry, you're a damn fool not to take that. I don't necessarily disagree with you that he would be a damn fool not to take it. That's not going to change the fact that if he takes a part-time deal, if he takes a Brock Lesnar deal, he takes the Saudi blood money, he's going to be called a hypocrite. That's the reality of the situation. It's going to happen. I mean, people are already calling him a hypocrite just for doing this Fox deal. That's even beyond me. If he comes back full-time, I don't consider that hypocritical. He takes a part-time deal, you know, just so he can get the main event of WrestleMania, so he can come back, so he can win the Royal Rumble. Because at this point, I bet you there's probably better odds on CM Punk winning the Royal Rumble than just about anybody else on the WWE roster. I don't know, man. I don't think Punk even wants to do it. I think this is exactly, if you're going to get Punk back in wrestling, this is it. I don't think he's coming back. What if it's a two-edged sword here, and you're CM Punk, and you realize this? I mean, he's he's not a stupid guy. He was. He, he, there's a reason where he's at where he's at in life. Uh, you know, he had everything stacked against him. He defied those odds. He climbed that mountain. He saw all that great success. Thought that he kind of hit that ceiling, which in many ways, you know, that's a reality. That's a real situation that he had that made him walk away from the business. Here, he got frustrated. Uh, just kind of threw his hands up and you know, aired all that dirty laundry. What if he comes back and gets that big payday and he gets those, those luxury dates and they, they willing to just work these marquee events. Okay. That's fine. I also want some creative control in there. So, and they're thinking, okay, yeah, you know, we give it to these other people. We'll help them out. We'll give it to fun. What if he comes back in and starts putting people over? What if he starts giving back? 
Why are you cashing that check? Okay, so all these people going to be eating crow then? Are they going to go back and apologize to the man? And he, all the while, he didn't give, he, he didn't step back on what he stood by, and he's still cashing these fat ass checks. I think a return of CM Punk to a wrestling ring, no matter how you slice it, is going to end up being disappointing. I think it, best case scenario, he comes back and he's Daniel Bryan. Remember how excited everybody was when Daniel Bryan came back to wrestling, and now he's just another guy. Well, and that's that's just you know that's how the, that's the mo for the WWE. My I, my biggest concern is nothing about it. He's a hypocrite. How he's going to handle his business? When I was talking about the discussion there between Triple H and Vince McMahon, I lean more towards many of the points that Triple H has made in that in that argument, or you know, reportedly made in that discussion, that debate between those two. I'm more concerned if you're going to pay him that and give him those dates. Does that is it really a quality return on investment? If you look at the entire landscape of professional wrestling right now, and we're talking about everyone's so high on this boom, and I'm not going to debate that. I think we are in a boom, but we need to really look at what that and understand what the boom means. We have a lot of great professional wrestling out there. There's so many options, and with the internet and you know all these other streaming outlets that we have here. We can, any kind of style you want, you know, we're not just limited to, to eating out at one place. We got a, a wide buffet of options, but it seems as though, and if you look at the, the Wednesday night war numbers, they're right around the ship, either they're better than what the networks expected, and they're, but they're holding steady. And what it looks like is there's only so many of us core wrestling fans, and we're just going from shop to shop supporting everybody. And when I was thinking about that today, it's, you know, it kind of reminds me of a little town that I live in here in, in Huron, Ohio. There's 5,000 uh, like registered citizens. Now, in tourist season, that, you know, that swells. There's over a million people here at times. But there's like 5,000 of us here right now. And then there's only so many of us that go out to, to eat and drink at bars. Well, because it is a tourist town, those bars are still here in the winter. So we've got like nine bars for a small amount of people. So we're all just shuffling around to the same one. We're having the same conversation. You're seeing the same people at spot to spot because you're all just jumping around. Professional wrestling is like that right now. We're sustaining this business, but there's only so many of us. Is CM Punk going to be enough of a draw? And I even do question of someone like Tyson Fury or King Valquez and, and Ron Rousey. You've had great debates about that. I think CM and, Punk and, is a bigger name than all of those. Uh, you 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 really believe that he is going to expand the bubble? That he's going to be able to not just maybe pull some people back, but is he a big enough name that you know that we're going to turn somebody on the wrestling that maybe had left before CM Punk has no idea who he is? They're going to be like, oh, he looks cool. We're going to start tuning in here again. I think there's a bigger issue with inside this business than going out here and throwing all this money at these so-called big names. We need to get back to some basics here and really focus on how to expand this bubble, how to market this thing, how to pitch an approach and just put a new sexy pillow paint on this entire on this entire industry. I don't disagree with anything that you just said, but the reality is the WWE ratings right now are in the toilet. And if I can put CM Punk on Monday Night Raw, CM Punk had twice as many hits on YouTube this week as Monday Night Raw had viewers. And I think that's great for a week. I, I want to talk about that number in a month. 
You know, we're all about numbers here on the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. Let's re- let's re-examine that in a month. Let's see and what the comparison is. Are people still just going to check him out on social media through YouTube, all those channels? Are they actually watching? Are they starting to watch backstage? Are there rumblings? You know, what are the reports backstage? What are the feel? If, if they feel that they need CM Punk. I mean, you obviously think you've got to get him somehow in that arena, involved in any way at Survivor Series in Chicago. And that, to me, is the big question. Like, if you're going to bring CM Punk back, I know there's a lot of people that are down on the way they brought CM Punk back, and they're like, well, why didn't they advertise it? Well, isn't that kind of what they've been doing? I mean, it was a teaser. I'm I'm with you. And not to, you know, know, throw it out there or anything like that, but if someone that did, outside of professional wrestling, someone that I look towards, uh, as a mentor of a bit, because I mean, hell, he's a professor in the industry. Uh, he's, he's a tremendous mind. Is Ben Hameen, and I'm, I'm talking about the marketing avenue here. And he was one of the first people to jump on this thing. Like, well, I can't believe they were just running out here. You know, he always tells the story of going back to OVW. Uh, I can't remember the talent that they had coming in. It might have been was it Al Snow or was he the one that was mad? Uh, but maybe they had it was maybe it was Mark Henry coming in, and they wrote him in as a secret. And I think it was Al Snow that was just furious. Like, you don't like the shows to pop yourself. You like the shows to put asses in those seats. Why wasn't he advertised? Right, but that was a one-off. This is a week-to-week thing. Well, in my question, the first thing I asked, and I went to our friends that work for the Sheets, that are the guys getting the scoops on this thing, and I said, can you give me some information on when this deal got done? You know, they might have just finalized this thing two days prior. They didn't have to. And then... If they, if they finalized it two days prior and then they started running it out on social media, we would have been sitting here chastising them for, well, what? they just used our social media. We're supposed to know that. So maybe they just got this thing done. Let's roll out a surprise. And that was the launch of this week long advertising campaign to really kick it off next week. This next week's numbers, that's what I'm interested in. Not this past week. I'm impressed with the social media. I'm not overly interested. What I'm focusing on is what Backstage does next Tuesday. And I'm very intrigued if we see him this Sunday at Survivor Series. Obviously, Survivor Series taking place in Chicago, the hometown of one Mr. CM Punk. Huckleberry, if they are going to get a deal done for CM Punk to actually return to the WWE, not just return to Fox TV, this is clearly the time and place that this is going to happen. Ratings in the toilet. We're getting ready to jump on the road to WrestleMania. This would be just an, an absolute shot of adrenaline into the veins of pro wrestling junkies. R- regardless of how you feel about CM Punk, people are going to tune in to see what is going to happen and if Punk is going to win the Rumble. Absolutely. You create that intrigue. And even if, you know, even if you're not able to to get that, that deal done from WWE, you better be doing everything you possibly can right now to, to be teasing that intrigue. What if, what do we, what could we have planned? Especially this time of year where you really see these ratings start to drop. Jari, you said to me just before we started recording, we were kind of prepping and all that. And when we were looking through the run and talking about WWE, you know, one of the things you said was like, man, when it hits November, I just don't want to talk about it because they don't put forth the effort. If they're going to go through the motion and put filler programming on, as you've said to me, we don't want to use it to create filler for our shows. We've got other things that we can talk about. We can dive into different conversations. There's so much going on from around the world of professional wrestling. We can fill that time with, 
if they're not going to give their effort, why should we give them our time? If you're WWE right now, you've got something that's kind of fallen into your lap. If you get the deal done or not, you use that as a teaser. Something as simple as CM Punk showing up on the panel would do it. Like on the, on the pre-show panel. Absolutely. Uh, 100%. And I hope it's not something that it, it, what really worries me here is that they cornball this thing up. You know, don't give me a couple fake entrances or something like that. Uh, if, if you don't actually have them here for something, hey, you can just get possibly get people excited just by running advertisements for backstage throughout the show. Yeah, but it's like WWE, th- this is kind of like the dirty little secret. I guess they did do something about it Tuesday or Friday night on SmackDown. Um, but like they were even putting out tweets and they wouldn't even tag him on Twitter. Yeah, I don't know if that's the pettiness or if they're still trying to steal out the situation themselves to see what is the dynamic going to actually be. They, they've never had themselves in a position like this where they're working with a network like Fox, where they're employing their own representatives on their programming. You know, looking at everything else they've had in the past, they, they were, you know, the chefs. Everything that was going into the stew, they were chopping up. They were in control of the ingredients. Now there's another chef inside the kitchen. It's going to be fascinating to see how this thing plays out. I'm really, really curious. Let's talk about another guy. Uh, ACH, rather than coming back to WWE, doesn't seem that's going to be happening anytime soon. ACH is trying to find his way out. Um, ACH has effectively like went on Twitter this entire F-bomb-filled rant uh, of him quitting the WWE, although it still remains to be seen if WWE will actually release him from his contract because, you know, they don't have to do it. Um, Rick, what do you think of this whole thing? Because when I first saw this thing, I absolutely thought it was a work. I thought they were just going to bring like a whole different kind of character of ACH into the universe. I, I have since changed my opinion on that. This guy's really, really pissed off. I, I could have seen where you, where you were coming with the work. And I think that would have been something interesting. It kind of reminded me of, and it's the gimmick I absolutely love down in Major League Wrestling is Injustice. Yeah. Love what those guys got going on. So I thought maybe you do that a bit edgier with, you know, a, a pinch of, uh, you know, Harlem Heat, a, a little bit of the Nation of Domination, some Injustice. And you're really getting let him go out there and really, you know, buy into this hashtag for the culture sort of deal, and get behind a, a movement that's really affecting society. The thing you really got to think about it, even though he's an NXT and it is the alternative and all that, it's still under the WWE corporate umbrella. So at that point, I was like, okay, now what we got? It's just not a, a pissed off, disgruntled employee. I think it's someone that's very immature. It doesn't really know how to handle themselves professionally. I absolutely love professional wrestling, incredible performer, a great athlete, uh, but is it mature enough to, to handle themselves as a grown-up? Do you happen to know how old is ATH? Um, I'm not sure offhand, but I can find out real quick. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know, what it reminded me of is someone who's been really influenced by almost by you know some negative personalities in others you know, in other avenues of professional sports. I mean, it's like he was just 
is following day by day the Antonio Brown situation and just took that blueprint and figured, okay, I'm going to take this to social media. I'm going to go there and kind of push my way and twist and turn everything that were, you know, hopefully I'm perceived as a victim. And I'm just going to, in any, any case, in any possible way, I am going to lash out at this authority. And however I can, I am going to accuse, 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 and people are going to gravitate towards me. Unfortunately, we're seeing so much of that nowadays that it's, it's backfiring. You know, it's the people are becoming, we're just not sensitive to it anymore. ACH is 31 years old. Um, I have a feeling that kind of what happened here, ACH debuted in 2007. He's five foot nine. He's 200 pounds. Everybody has told him he's too small. It's never going to happen. And he finally made it. He finally made it to the WWE. He finally signed a contract with the WWE and the WWE, while it was his lifelong dream, turned out to be a living freaking nightmare. It was nothing like what he wanted. All, all of the the training and the 11 years that he went through to get there, none of it really mattered because of the WWE system and they wait, they want to present their talent. And he wasn't happy with his position in the company and now he's out. You know, that's kind of what but I think it, but happened. In that case, but how many, but how many other individuals has this happened with? And there's a right and a wrong way to go about exiting and how you handle yourself professionally. And now just today, you know, and as I say, you know, it was a big day in sports. It's been a big day in wrestling with news breaking. Uh, seeing a couple of reports out there that some other big promotions, AEW, one of them at the time being, wants to stay clear of this situation. Can you blame them? Absolutely not. And you have to realize this. Uh, in, in any field, if you go out there and you start airing dirty laundry and you're going to social media, and yes, and then you always say, oh, freedom of speech, right? You can kind of represent and protect your pride and all this. That's great. But there's repercussions for how for your actions. And we're going to exactly see this here. You're seeing it you know, with Antonio Brown. You know, oh, I'm done with the NFL. No, the NFL is done with you, buddy, because of how you're acting and what you represent. You're not worth the, the return on investment here. And hell, another, we got a big circus here today that they're the claiming it's just going to turn into a big PR stunt with the Kaepernick situation that was supposed to go down in Atlanta. And that's really where I thought they were going to go with this whole ACH thing when I first had saw this entire story kind of starting to come out. Um, could an angle like that work in 2019? Like, could a pro wrestling company on the level of an AEW, a WWE, I mean, Ring of Honor's kind of doing it with our friend Shane Taylor, right? Shane Taylor Promotions and the way that they've presented that. That's that's kind of along these lines. But could that African-American athlete exposing the hypocrisy inside of the world of professional wrestling, could that work on a mainstream level? Or is that just too far, too political? I don't need that in my pro wrestling. I uh, see it. I'm a big fan of taking things that are happening in society, uh, putting, uh, putting a lucha mask on it. So it's not so obvious. You're, you're not just, you know, spelling it out for everyone, but you know, you're getting those subtle messages. That's what I want in my pro wrestling. Cause I want you to excite me. I want to get invested. I want you to make me feel, get those emotions going. No matter, you know, whatever that might be, sadness, anger, love, you know, joy, 
tears. That's what I want from professional wrestling. That's what makes professional wrestling so great. That's why, to me, it's the best form of entertainment in the world. It brings everything, the, the best from every sort of genre together, and you put that under the circus tent that is professional wrestling. That is the business, the industry that I fell in love with, and that's what I, that's what I want to see. And I think in today's culture there, and how we've evolved in society, you have to tippy-toe around all that so much, and, and then you've got this perception of some people just want the athleticism because we've evolved into that where, you know, if you go out there and you try to tell, try to tell a, a drama story like we're seeing with Bob Lashley and, and Lashley and Rusev and Lana, that people are just really going to shit all over that. It, it's, it's this mixed bag of things that seem to be butting heads where you can't be everything to everybody, but I think you could, you, if you get it properly, and you had it put together and you structured it and gave it some time and you had someone driving it that fully under, understood it, that understood what it meant to be behind that character, that persona, and how people are going to perceive that on, on, you know, from different perspectives, it could be simply incredible. I think if you had someone like that go out there representing for the culture, and you don't have to go out there and come off as angry black man, because that goes back to your, your stereotypical gimmicks that we always hear about for minorities or really any kind of race. Like, you know, you always get like the stuck up white guy. You know, I mean, why does that have to be that? There's, there's been white people that have, that have grown up in ghettos and poor and had to come up and overcome and all. You really see a whole lot of that in professional wrestling. So the stereotypes, it's a two-way street. But if they came out and they, and they spoke proudly about, you know, what society, wrestling and society have always mirrored each other. And yeah, there were times, but now we are coming up. We are breaking through, and this is for the culture that we can get together, we can rally, we can do this. You know, immediately it comes to mind to me, Jarger, someone that would have been perfect to kind of head up a creative team to help drive a, a force like that would be someone like Booker T, who's, who's lived both sides of this fence. Booker T is a good one. Um, actually, while you were sitting there talking, I got to thinking, you know, because of course my brain immediately goes to the nation, right? Obviously, you would have to update it to more of a, a 2019 sort of context, but kind of along the lines of the nation of domination. So here's my new nation, assuming that Jordan Miles is not going to be released from the company and actually gets this thing figured out, gets a little bit of help. So my team is going to be Jordan Miles, Isaiah Swerve Scott, Bobby Lashley, and Big E Langston. That's going to be my 2020 Nation of Domination. And then Huckleberry, like you said, you need somebody to kind of lead this whole thing off. You went with Booker T. I went with Mark Henry. Well, I don't even, I don't want to, I don't want the person, I was like putting Booker T into this thing. I don't want him on screen. No, I no, I know. Producing this thing. I want him writing the stories. Yep, for and me, I, 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 I went with Mark Henry as that kind of, because you have to have that person on the creative team if you're going to do this thing and do it right. And you have to trust them when they say, no, we ain't going to do that. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it, and not just to have African-Americans, because, you know, that's what they're representing, the, the hashtag for the culture and all that. I think you need to have another mind on there as well. And I've got somebody for you because you need someone that can counterpoint things because you look at the. Look at the demographic of this audience. It's great. We're out there going to give you this, this big, strong message. And this is kind of like with the women's evolution. You know, they, you had the wrong people writing it. They didn't know what it meant to be a woman trying to achieve and succeed. We're seeing this right now where the fiend has kind of jumped the shark because we heard that, that Vince McMahon took it over. 
70-year-old man has no idea how to write for that character. <laughs> they don't understand it. So, so if you have, you know, a Mark Henry or Booker T, and, you know, they've traveled and they've seen racism and arenas and all that, but they've seen it through their eyes. They've seen it through an African-American. So to help write, the help writing and producing and all that in a program or with a fashion like that, you need that outside perspective. What is the majority, us middle-class white guys, that grew up in that transition stage, you know, where our grandparents, I mean, it's, you know, say it, it sounds so horrible here in 2019, but it's a reality. You know, there was prejudice or, you know, not like hatred, but, you know, there was a little bit of, you know, weird eyeballs with each other. It's a two-way street again, you know, you know. African-Americans look at whites the same way or look at Hispanics. I, I think if you brought in someone that was, that has meant so much to the business and helping, helping evolve and helping everyone grow, but could also give you that outside perspective from what other viewers, other fans are going to be seeing. I think someone like Dutch Manna would be amazing uh, to help, you know, contribute to a movement like that. See here. I thought you were going to go with new Jack. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, if you want to, if you could get anything, save anything here with, uh, with miles, ACH and bring him back. Pair him hey, with new if Jack. Gonna, pair, hey, let new Jack become that mouthpiece. If, if you just want to, you want to go all out. We don't give a shit anymore on the NBC. Uh, take your nation, shove up your ass. That was, that's, that's PG. That's G rated. That's Disney plus shit compared to what you're going to have with these guys out on the independent scene. Yeah. Uh, let's who would you get for that one? We've got ACH, we got New Jack, anybody else out there? It's just disgruntled to no end. Oh man, I'd have to think about that one for a little bit, but I bet you we could come up with some pretty good names for that list. But to to kind of go with what you were saying about how we, as much as we need a woman's voice inside of the the room for the women's evolution, we we need one of these gentlemen to step up and be that voice for African-Americans. Huckleberry, this After the Bell podcast with Corey Graves, this is this is such a bad, bad idea. And I don't know if, if Corey has somebody helping him produce this show. I'm sure he does. This has to be running through a WWE filter. But this one kind of took the cake for me. He actually claimed on that podcast that, well, the fans have it. We have given you exactly what you want. The redemption of Kofi Kingston is complete. He is once again a SmackDown Tag Team Champion. This makes up for, for him losing to Brock Lesnar in eight seconds. He's now a SmackDown Tag Team Champion. I, I think, you know, I think a little bit of a stretch from what you said there. We've talked about this before. Him losing in five to eight seconds, that was just wrong time, wrong place for poor Kofi Kingston. That could have been anybody because they were trying to further that story with, with Kane and Brock. They needed Brock to look strong. That, that was just bad timing. By the kind of time we were just talking about, though, with, you know, that African-American movement, couldn't they have had this years ago with New Day before it all turned it? Because when they first introduced them, they were kind of angry black guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they went, then they went all, you know, with Disney Plus is putting disclaimers on now. Then they turned in, you know, the crows from, from Dumbo, where they're just, you know, juking and jiving, having a good time. And then we got cereal, we got pancakes. I mean, just the term itself. New day. Couldn't that have represented a new day for African-Americans inside the business? We are here to make a drive towards the main event. We're going to stick together. It doesn't mean that they couldn't have some fun 
But when it became all about fun, they were so hard to take serious. And the reason they were, it was okay for them to thrive inside the tag division is because no one was taking any of that serious in the first place. Well, and we even saw it a little bit with Big E when he was going on those Twitter rants. You remember those where, where Big E was just sitting there and talking to you, the fans at home from Twitter? Talking about our kind of people? Yeah, you like we teased it. Go all in. Let Big E have the microphone. Let him talk about this. And all the people that wanted him out there shaking his hips and Kofi throwing pancakes and Woods clowning around with a trombone and just let him have it. I think Big E's got to be the, that, that front person for this entire thing. And think about this as well. You and I have been to a lot of events. We, we know the demographics there. And you can see it when who they pan to on television. When they're out there dancing and dry humping a trombone and Biggie shooting ass pancakes into the crowd, uh, you got Carlton, you know, whatever the old announcer's name over there, dancing along with them. Byron who, Saxton. Who was out? Yeah, Saxton over there, Carlton. But who was? Who are they catering to in the audience? It was a bunch of white freaking virgins and white kids. <laughs> I just I could not believe that they actually think that they have told the redemption story with Kofi Kingston. That him going out and just like, oh, well, I lost the WWE championship. Hey, let's get our tag team back together. Yeah, we won the SmackDown tag team championships. All is good in the world of Kofi Kingston now. And I, and I love how they, they put this other twist on here because the chase for the WWE championship, that was for, that was for Kofi. That's his dream. We're coming together. Now they're they're trying to tell that same you know that same story like we're doing it for Xavier Woods who's been pushed to the sidelines. It's all for him. This is how hungry we are. We're not buying this shit. Yeah, and, and this goes back to what you were saying about that AEW crowd. AEW crowds are playing along with everything right now. If you want to give them the librarians, they will shush on the way to the ring, right? They have that goodwill. They have that good faith with their fan base. WWE, they lost that a long time ago. Huckleberry, I want to talk about Daniel Tosh. This this might be my favorite pro wrestling feud going on right now. Daniel Tosh, evidently, has been talking smack about Arn Anderson on his show for 11 years now. And the enforcer has finally responded. Huckleberry, this is right up your alley when it comes to awful television. Tell me that you're all over this story. Oh, I am loving this thing, man. It's, you know, this was one of those things that was kind of hitting at there. You know, the hottest stories that we got on the run, the hottest news happening throughout this week, throughout this weekend. It's not inside the ring. Hell, it's not even in large part inside the world of professional wrestling. It's skirting on. It's on the outside. It's just outside. And it is what's driving everything. I'm absolutely loving this thing. You want to talk about some great promos. Daniel Tosh on the show. What was it? The I Hate Arn Anderson podcast or I Hate Arn podcast? Yeah, Ar- the Arn Anderson Sucks podcast or yeah. whatever it was yeah. called. Yeah, just absolutely fantastic. The promo that he cut there, I swear, you it, it was brilliant. You know what really got me thinking about? And we see all these writers. You, know, you can go to WWE's corporate site, and they've got writers' positions and assistant writers and assistants to assistants. They got it. They got it listed all day. 
you know, there's a lot of people, a lot of very talented people, writers, fine people out there that that love professional wrestling. Dana Tosh is one of those people, and if you, if you followed anything in him at all, I mean, he grew up on this stuff. There's a lot of it to this day that he loves. And this whole thing with Art Anderson, it was driven because as a kid, as a fan, he didn't like Art Anderson. I mean, why can't they find some of those minds? You know, it was Tosh ain't writing all of his own shit. Why can't they go find some of those writers, implement some of that stuff into their own product, mix that in with a, you know, a half room of people that, you know, that really were fans that can bring a new edge of society and culture with them and blur that in with people that understand, you know, your agents putting together the philosophy inside the ring. I mean, where is that, is that misconnect? Well, I know where it's at. It's sitting at the end of the table. And if a seven year old senile son of a bitch, that doesn't have a writer push because he doesn't understand the trends and where things are at today. How great was that promo from Arn Anderson just standing in front of the fireplace? Like I almost shit myself for Daniel Tosh. That's how scary Arn Anderson came across. Oh, I mean, this is going to be classic. I, I love you know going back to the one with uh, with Tosh Hacksaw. Man, I thought he killed it. I was going to say my next question is, what the fuck is Hacksaw Jim Duggan's problem? Hey man, you know they had some beef back in the day. I kind of want to see it. In 2019, I, I kind of want to see Arne Anderson versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan now. You know, I always joked about, yeah, with all the nostalgia going on, if like twice a year, like WWE would do like a six-week tour where they weren't working them every night. Maybe they do like twice a year, like six cities where it was all any, like any of the old stars that could go. Like bring them out and just give us classic stuff. Does, does, is there any chance this happens in AEW? Uh, you got to believe right now with Arn within AEW, everything they're picking up here, their target demographic, who they're trying to reach. I mean, we're already seeing the tie-ins with the Adult Swim stuff. And, yeah, I mean, you know, I wouldn't the, have even thought of that if it wasn't for the Rick and Morty thing. Yeah, I, absolutely. You know they want to jump all over this thing. That's, that, that's absolutely the same audience. I kind of want to see it. I, I kind of want to see Arne Anderson spinebuster the shit out of Daniel Tosh. I've never been a Daniel Tosh fan. I assume you love the guy. Uh, I am a Tosh guy. I, I wouldn't put him up there like his, you know, like in my tops. I, I kind of, I, I checked out on the show a while ago. Uh, he said it's such a tremendous run, but it was just the repetitiveness of it. You know, just the same formula and most of the videos you regularly see yourself online anyway. Yeah, like I didn't even realize this was still a thing. I, I didn't even realize Tosh.0 was still on the air. Yeah, I mean, they're still rocking and rolling, you know. it's He's got a he's got a great concept going there. He took, remember where this was driven from when we were back in high school? Were you a fan of Talk Soup? Um, I vaguely remember Talk Soup. I wasn't necessarily a fan. See, that was like one of the shows where like I found my love for just terrible, uh, you know, terrible reality drama television. And what Talk Soup would do is at first, you know, the first concept of it was they would go to all the talk shows, the Jerry Springer's, the Sally's, the, the Bill Donahue's, the Maury's, the, uh, the Jenny's, the Jenny Jones and all that. They would take the clips from there, and then they would kind of do what Tosh does, like, you know, the, the comic voiceover, and then they'd have, like, their staff in studio doing, like, little skits and stuff like that. So then it grew from there, and then they, you know, then they took the, they moved into reality television as that began its boom. So that's where this, this concept came from. And that was one of the first shows that I was like, damn, I, I love this stuff. 
And hey, just like professional wrestling, I, I found it young and I still just gravitate towards it today. About the only thing that I enjoy that that's kind of similar to that is uh, Plazanet Earth with Snoop Dogg. I haven't seen that one. Ooh, I'll have to turn you on to Plazanet Earth. I think it's actually part of the uh, Jimmy Fallon show where it's uh, Snoop Dogg narrating uh, nature videos. Absolutely fantastic. Now, I, I do want to throw it out here because, uh, as you've seen it, I, I ran it by you before I lost it. Uh, people are loving it. If you want to go over to uh, the PW Hustle on Facebook, to their discussion group or the Omni Media discussion group on Facebook, now, we've, we've got a poll running right now. Who's the biggest homer? Who's chilling for, for their company? Is it Professor AOC for, for WWE or is it Dave Meltzer for the AEW? And this reminds me. This reminds me of this thing. Go over and vote. Who's the biggest homer, the professor or Meltzer? But you know, professor's going to be all over this because if Tosh would get involved with AEW, we're going to love it. People are going to love it. They're going to be raving about this thing. It's going to be the talk of the internet. People are going to be praising him for it, and he's going to be all. Well, anytime WWE brings out a celebrity, everybody takes it. They don't give. They don't give WWE any breaks. Let's give you the biggest stars in the world. You hate it. Bring out Daniel Tosh. He ain't funny. You guys are talking like crazy. He's going to be all over it. <laughs> John Stewart ruined that forever inside of the WWE. Let's talk about ROH. ROH getting ready for final battle. That's going to be coming up here real soon. Huckleberry, we've been wondering what the matches for final battle were going to be. We finally got some announcements here. It's going to be Roosh taking on PCO for the ROH World Heavyweight Championship. The Briscoes face off with Jay Lethal and Jonathan Gresham for the ROH Tag Team Championships. Mark Haskins and Bully Ray going to have a street fight and the we av- absolutely have to have a street fight on the card match. Uh, Shane Taylor versus Dragon Lee for the ROH TV Championship. And then the one match that I feel like actually has heat, the one match that I'm really intrigued to see going down here, there's not even a championship on the line. It's going to be newly crowned babyface Matt Taven taking on that evil bastard who broke up the kingdom, Vinny Marcellia. That's the match that I really want to see. Huckleberry, what do you think of Final Battle thus far? Well, right now, you know, I'm more interested in this thought I just had as you're as we're transitioning there than I am for Final Battle. Could Daniel Tosh become the modern Andy Kaufman? No. <laughs> just a random thought, a, a modern version. But to talk about, you know, Final Battle, this is one of the, you know, the topics we spent a little time on before we got on the air here. If this was a pro wrestling gorilla like card where it's just random shows, we're getting them every couple months. I'd be like, yeah, this, this is pretty good for the end of the year. So, you know, we're going to check it out. It's going to be fun to talk about. It's fun to see what happens and then we'll, we'll review it and we'll move on. But this is the, you know, arguably the biggest show of their year. It's their, their blow off. They're getting ready to turn the calendar. This is the biggest build. It's supposed to be the biggest build. We're supposed to be invested in this. We're supposed to be excited in this thing. And I feel that we are coming up way, way short here. As you said, they've had very little television built for this thing. We've got some kind of thrown together honor club programs where they weren't making a whole lot of sense. Everything was just kind of tournaments and opportunity matches. What are we overly invested, as you said here, but outside of the breakup of the kingdom? Yeah, to me, that's absolutely the big selling point. Vinny Marcellia cutting open Matt Taven's forehead with a hatchet. 
Like, yeah, I, I absolutely want to see that match. Um, a couple of things that stand out to me that are missing here. Uh, number one, I, I don't see a Bandito on this card. I don't see a Jeff Cobb on this card. I don't see a Marty Skrull on this card. Like, th there is still a lot of work to do to round this thing out. And there's just, there's no heat anywhere. Like you said, if this was a PWG show and this was just, you know, a, a random independent show that's going to throw out some good matches for everybody to watch. Yeah. It looks like this could be a good show, but there's no heat. Well, you know, just like real quick, what we've got to ask. You said there's things that we don't even have all these big names. I mean, where's women of honor? You know, we don't have anything there. Again, that just continues to show that I don't know if it's just lack of interest focus, oh, uh, or or but capability. Aren't we supposed to get Maria Manic versus Angelina Love at final battle? Oh yes, yeah, yes, that is that is that is coming up here. But I, again, the, the Women of Honor that. Championship not on the line in that match. As as far as I know, Kelly Klein is still the Women of Honor champion. Yeah, I, I wonder if that has anything to do with the um, Joey Mercury situation. Issues. Well, out, even outside of that, just medical because you know she's been dealing with some concussion stuff as well. They might wait for some clearance. Uh, as we get close, I mean, this thing is. Is there any chance that they strip Kelly of the championship and they put it on the line between Angelina Love and Maria Manic? I, I don't think we need that at this point. I think that does more damage to an already struggling division uh, to go ahead and make a move like that for the sake of having the championship on on the card. I don't think anyone's really going to miss it. Now, when you look at like this main event though for the Ring of Honor World Championship, Rouge first PCO. I, there is no heat between these two. Uh, there hasn't been a build. They're outside of just wanting to be the champion and better the other. I mean, what we're really looking forward to is how they're going to handle it. And we're looking forward to the freak show aspect from PCL. I mean, are, are they going to murder? Is he going to finally die? Uh, that's the intrigue there. No cell city, bitch. Putting, that's what that match is yeah. going to be. Yeah. I mean, something's got to give. And then if you don't know, like the background stories, you know, of Roosh and how difficult he could be, uh, he doesn't like taking that tan, doesn't like laying down. Uh, how far will PCO go? I guess that's the selling point there. They're hoping that, you know, it's just selling to a really smarky audience. Uh, and which in this case of Ring of Honor, that's that's really it right now. Uh, we see what they're drawing. We've seen their numbers. I mean, they're way down. You and I have been putting over for months, probably six months, that Lethal and Gresham should have been building for a program with the Briscoes. That was the, the go-to match for the tag division at Final Battle. We've had very little. Uh, they've really been dragging their feet with whatever the hell's going on here with uh, lethal aggression. Haskins and Bully, again, you know, let's throw something together. There's somebody from Lifeblood. we got to get a street fight on this thing. Shane Taylor, Dragon Lee, we've seen this a handful of times. They work well together. It's a great matchup, but where's the intrigue? I mean, why, does, why does Shane Taylor want this match? I mean, he's got control. He's got creative control inside the narrative. You know, why wasn't he manipulated into somehow giving this match or maybe a stipulation within here? Where is that extra, that extra intrigue that we need? And again, yes, you've got Taven and Vinny. The kingdom has, has crumbled. But even in that, just, would it be more intensified if, if this was a blow-off match? I mean, we're just going to get – this is the beginning. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. Um, and – even like that Haskins versus Bully Ray thing, I assume that that's Flip Gordon's appearance on the show. You know, like you, you can just kind of start filling in blanks here of like who's going to fill out the rest of this card. And it looks like it's going to be a really good card, but there is not going to be any kind of heat going into this thing whatsoever. 
Well, I mean, there's some other people they've been pushing here, like Silas Young, the bouncers. You know what this really is? We're, we're talking out loud about this thing. Here's the vibe I'm getting from it. This really feels like something from Impact Wrestling with there are so many restarts, hitting the reset button. Yeah, and there's been a lot of talk about a lot of expiring contracts for Ring of Honor going into 2020. I don't know what this company is going to look like come February. And that's what leads me to believe that that this is going to be more of a, an impact style reset. As you said, you know, there's a lot of big names missing. I guess it's not coincidence that a lot of those names are the people we're talking about contract issues. What is this roster going to look like? And who are they going to be backing as we turn, you know, turn the calendar? Yeah. It's going to be a very interesting situation for ROH going into 2020. Um, some people probably wondering about World Tag League that started up this uh, Saturday morning. Uh, we will have a full update with nights one and two of World Tag League Monday inside the locker room. Huckleberry, uh, let's go ahead. Let's shift. Let's get into the WWE properties and AEW here for the week. Um, I wanted to start off with the Wednesday Night Wars. Obviously, ratings came out this week. Kind of a rebound for AEW, back up to 957,000. NXT down to 750,000. Um, NXT dropping 63,000 viewers this week. AEW kind of rebounding to where they were a couple of weeks ago. Rick, do you make anything out of the ratings at this point, or is this just kind of the ballpark we're going to be in, 750 and 950 to a mil? Well, I think there's a, there's a number of ways we can look at this. Uh, and let's start here with AEW. I think let's start with the more of the positive for me. Uh, AEW, they, they have established a direction. They, they have, we know their top stars. We're getting sprinkled in here. I know some of the complaints, and I've been a part of those over on Light the Fuse, uh, HackerHameen.Podbean.com. Uh, that drops, at, you know, usually on Wednesday, early Wednesday or Thursday mornings following the show there uh, with MSG, and he kind of rotates the guests there. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're starting to uh, to sprinkle in some of those, those mid-card, lower-card talents. They've got themselves established. They're telling us stories. They're moving in a direction, and people are starting to follow that. They're starting to buy in. We we have, and as Cody always said this, we're going to present to you characters. And however you want to perceive them, we want you to do that. We're not going to come and try to force and tell you who the face of our company is or who the baby that you should ultimately get behind. And really, as we were talking about earlier, how this audience is, has become truly part of the show in a positive way because they're going right along with it. They're feeding the energy. You got to think that strategy there by Cody and the Bucks and Kenny and anybody in the management there, it was, it was brilliant. You know, let's, let's give them what they want to hear instead of trying to force feed them. We're going to let them choose. But if you're telling professional wrestling stories right, if you're just telling a story right, the audience is going to gravitate towards certain characters and personas, and they're going to push away from others. And that's exactly what we're getting here. MJF, who people absolutely, you go outside in any other narrative, you got to a local bar, you know, me and you go to a WrestleCon, people talk about how amazing he is. He goes out there and cuts a promo. He turns on Cody at full gear, goes out there and cuts a promo. People are absolutely hating that son of a bitch because they're, they're buying into this thing. 
and it's perfect. And that's what's working with it. Now, talk to their numbers. They're already exceeding expectations. What was it, like 500 was what TNT thought they were going to be happy with? Yep. All right, so they're damn near doubling that. And they're holding. They're holding that. It also goes back to what I was talking at the top of the show. What are they doing to expand that bubble? What is that next move? That's what I'm interested in seeing. And I'll give them time here. You know, six months. Can we add? Can we get up to 120? 150. Can we double that number in a year? You guys say you're in tune with society. You know what the modern fan or what, you know, people are just this modern consumer wants. Let's see if you can really pull that off. I think the biggest thing is they're actually listening to the fans. You know, like they're 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 listening to them when it comes to the format of the show, the what they're presenting on the show. We're seeing a lot more promos this week. They absolutely cut down on match times, but I thought it was interesting this week. I thought this was the best week of TV that AEW has had thus far. I thought that the show that they put out this week was just absolutely fantastic. They did something in legitimately every single segment. They did something for every single talent. That was on this show. I thought it was masterfully well done. On the other hand, there's NXT, who just seems kind of lost right at the moment. And I can't say that I really blame them because they're trying to promote two pay-per-views that are going to be happening the same weekend. Their narrative is just all over the place. You said something that was was very strong there, Jargo. And you know, it's something that I learned very, very young uh, when I became a manager when I got into marketing, if you just listen, you can lead. And that is what, you know, a strategy that, that AEW is employing here. And just listening a little bit, it doesn't, you don't have to give in and give, give everything that they want, but is, if they know that you're, you're there and they're willing to understand and at least work through and integrate some of these other concepts, they're going to follow. And that's what we got, and that's what makes a great leader. In the case of WWE, I mean, they'll just blatantly come out. How many times have like, you seen an individual like Road Dog or this, this god-awful, well, as long as you're reacting. Yeah, as, as, as long as there's a reaction. That's all we care about. As long as you're reacting. You know, no, it doesn't matter if it's exactly the way we want you to or the exact opposite of the way we want you to. As long as you're reacting. No bullshit. Yeah, and then, you know, like you see it on social media where they're trying to defend it. Uh, and then like you can go to on air. Well, this is just a defiant crowd. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. This is bizarro jackasses. world. <laughs> yeah. But like they're fooling anybody. And they're so delusional. They think that they're going to dictate the direction. And this is not just in professional wrestling. It's in any field, any business. You cannot conduct yourself like that. And it's coming back to bite themselves in the ass. And I know this is going to be a hard pull for, for many of our listeners to, you know, our great followers, our, our family, to get into because, yes, we love NXT. We want to believe and we want them to succeed. But now that they went to USA, now that, they, that they're going to, you know, raise that far brand-wise and try to even that playing field through the company, there's going to be, they're at a different, you know, they're playing with a different set of rules. And it's starting to have a negative effect on them. They're spreading them too thin right now. The show is so hard to follow. It's because you got them selling too much shit. They're trying to get takeover over and this piece of crap Survivor Series, you know, gimmick pay-per-view because of your own doing has jumped the shark decades ago. 
For the last month, the hardest working person inside of the WWE has clearly been Shayna Baszler. I mean, she's been on like every show for like the last month, right? Absolutely. It's just, and it, she's done a magnificent job. Yeah, trying to push two narratives at once. She's knocked it out of the park. The rest of them, not so much. Um, and, and I say that in the respect that when I look at the AEW roster, we're now seven weeks into this thing, right? There was a lot of names that we looked at on this roster and we thought, this is not going to work. Like, if you're going to pitch to me, like, Luchasaurus, Darby Allen, MJF, Joey Janela, Marco Stunt, Jungle Boy, Nyla Rose, you know, Hangman Page, Pac, Rick, they have improved the stock of every one of those talents over the course of these seven weeks to the point where I'm invested in their stories. How many talents has NXT done that with? Well, absolutely. You know, once you get into NXT and now that you're getting the exposure on the red and blue, you're, you're becoming more of that cookie cutter. And you can talk about elevating some talents here. And I do, I don't want to be all negative on them because ultimately in, in the entire WWE structure, we want them to succeed because it trickles down. When WWE is great, when they're steamrolling, the entire industry is, you know, that was going to make AEW better. That's going to make Major League Wrestling. It's make Ring of Honor, Impact Wrestling, right on down to the Northern Wrestling Federation here in, in Cincinnati, the Battle on the Borders, um, you know, the Defy out there where MSG out in the, in the Northwest. It makes everyone better when WWE is succeeding. So we want that. It's, we're not bitching. We're we're concerned. That we're fanatics. We we want we want them to be better. But I will say that, that something that I think that they're doing good here, and it was a great concern because of the size. How they're going to match up with some of these other individuals? Uh, Undisputed era, week in and week out. Right now, I think they are really getting the rub here. They they remind me so much of the radicals. Adam Cole is absolute money and hopefully they're starting to realize that after his matchup with Daniel Bryan and with Seth Rollins and I think the most important part is Adam Cole looked like he belonged in the ring with Daniel Bryan and Seth Rollins I was really really worried that even Seth Rollins was just going to make Adam Cole look small and I don't know what it is man because size wise Adam Cole is small but Jesus, that guy's just got so much personality that it's hard to confine him into that he's too small box. Well, and you go back to someone that also that was able to to break down those barriers when we're looking at size comparisons. Uh, Shawn Michaels, you know, in his time, is you know compared to today, what we're seeing with some of these stars, Shawn was a bit bigger. But back then. You know, when Shawn Michaels has left the building, when he was making his rise, I mean, that's when you're like regularly, I mean, you're dealing with guys that were going six four, six five, you know, 260 to 300 pounds. You weren't getting a sniff anywhere near that title unless you were over 6'5", 270, anywhere between like 280 to 320. And he was, and he was, cha- and he was changing you know, that narrative that, that you could break through with it, you know, that athleticism, but it wasn't, and Sean was a great athlete. He was hungry and we know the backs, you know, how hungry he was backstage, but he had that persona. He had the charisma and that's what got him over. And Adam Cole has that. 
And then as you were just kind of dropping in there, I think who's ultimately winning here is Shayna Baszler. Yeah, Baszler has absolutely elevated her stock tenfold in this entire program with Becky Lynch to the point where I don't know how Shayna Baszler goes back to NXT. Like, I, I feel like it's just time to move Shayna Baszler to Raw. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and I think that move is all uh, determined about, you know, the direction of Rousey. I think you, in looking at her contract, you know, I don't know it offhand, uh, even, you know, what the company has with her, what she has just in store for herself. Uh, but, you know, you've got to look at some point. That's a huge payday for you inside that ring. You don't want to give that away too soon. You don't want to wait, though, so it ruins it. Uh, they're going to have to walk very carefully, uh, you know, around, you know, that potential program between those two. But to me, yeah, we're looking at, you know, big money stars for, you know, the next what? This is a little older, though, isn't she? Yeah, she is. Okay, so what would you guess that we've really got her for? I mean, what was what is our, our cap of her? I would say probably... Eight, eight years? I don't even think you get that many. I, I would say on a five? high. I would say on a high end five. Okay, then you mean you start you start putting together a five year plan. What you want to do with her, and she could be a very big you know a centerpiece for a lot of your programming. I do think they've elevated Matt Riddle. I do think they've elevated Keith Lee. Uh, this week on NXT, it seemed like they tried to elevate Donovan dickhead um and i love what they're doing with finn balor strictly inside of an nxt context even though you can't really use him for this whole survivor series thing just doesn't really work um tomaso champa not so much i feel like he's kind of still stagnant right in that same spot where he was johnny gargano getting injured came at an absolutely terrible time is there anybody I'm forgetting, Rick, where it feels like they've really raised their stock over the course of the last seven to nine weeks inside of NXT? Well, when you're talking about, you know, making the assessment with somebody like Riddle and Lee, elevating them, but, but when we're talking about elevating, it's not like you're making stars. You're actually you're just introducing them. You know, we saw the reaction when they first appeared with Sammy Zane. I mean, it was little to zero. So at least now you're recognizing the name. So I guess that, you know, that is a move in the right direction. Where you're talking about someone like Chapa, man, this whole Survivor Series dynamic, if it's outside of anything with the Garganos, him being involved in, in teams and brands, it's awful. it does much more harm to him than anything else. Yeah, you almost wonder if they should have just held off the Chapa return until after War Games. Or it was, if you really wanted to establish who the hell he was, you know, to him it's just about gold. He doesn't care about your war games. He doesn't care about your brand. He's, he's the most entertaining man in, in sports entertainment. He's the greatest sports entertainer of all time. He doesn't need anybody. But you know what? If all this, this mayhem is going on, he should have been showing up and taking care of his own business. You know, it would have been, you know, been kind of cool if he just started going around and even – Somehow you have to really maybe do it in a, back, in a backstage segment, then yet where you can protect it. But if you just start going like just show up, just started staring at everybody's belts, giving them that eye. You know, maybe he wants to grow the family. He wants more than one baby, one more than one little bundle of, of Goldie Joy. At that point, you could have created laid the seeds for you know started 
that those feelings of like that stone cold, that, that true loner, that guy just doesn't give a shit, that true black heart. That's what I think completely a, a swing and a miss. It, it, it seems like half a so, like when they're cutting those promos against each other, like this past week, uh, they gave Lee the mic there to kind of set, you know, set up the match with Roddy. Uh, Chapa just looks out of place. He looks lost there. Yeah, you you kind of feel like the role of Tommaso Ciampa should have been played by Johnny Gargano, and it should have been like Gargano, Riddle, and Lee trying to convince Tommaso Ciampa to join their team for war games. That should have been the story. Well, I think you could have had even like Triple H, anyone trying to talk to him, and he's like, I, I don't care. I'm not here for that. I don't give a shit about any of you people. I'm here for the belt. And then and then maybe somewhere in our city he gets intrigued, like, wait a minute. Maybe I just don't want that belt. Maybe I want Lesnar's belt. Maybe I want that. Uh, I'm, I'm not afraid of that fiend or whatever the hell's going on in this funhouse. Maybe I want that belt. Maybe he just starts staring at AJ or uh, whoever the hell else has got whatever. Nakamura. So all kinds of belts to stare at, that's for sure, especially inside of a WWE context. Let's uh, let's start things off on the Wednesday Night Wars. Let's take a look at Dynamite. <laughs> what been funny, though, is you have that running around, and then you have him run into uh, R-Truth, and he just blows him off and just walks on by. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. Let's start things off with Dynamite. Huckleberry, at the beginning of the show, there's this, this thing with Kenny Omega. Right where where the doctor is checking out Kenny Omega, and and they're showing the stills from the matchup with John Moxley at Full Gear, and I thought it was interesting that the last still that they show wasn't from the paradigm shift; it was from when Kenny Omega went for the Phoenix Splash off of the top rope, which was a clear homage to Kota Ibushi. And it was almost like Kota Ibushi beat Kenny Omega in that match, not John Moxley, because it was really him missing that Phoenix splash is what did all the damage. And then Moxley hit him with a paradigm shift for good measure. Rick, I feel like even this whole thing with Moxley, it's just advancing the story with Kota Ibushi. Hey, these guys are masterful when it comes to, uh, subliminal messaging and you've been all over this you you you've been talking about this for for weeks months but this is about a, a much bigger a bigger issue and a much bigger picture right now what, what we've got between Knox and kenny omega it's fun and it's entertaining for the time being it's holding over each of these talents but there's something deeper there's something deeper at work here there's a bigger picture and with this payoff Hopefully, it, it, when it comes to the fruition, it's really going to make a lot of sense to people. Kenny seemed really, really sad that Moxley was cleared. Thought that was kind of interesting, too. John Moxley defeats Michael Nakazawa to kick off Dynamite this week. Rick, people were mad that all their matches were going 20 minutes. This match goes one minute. Michael Nakazawa showing that he's a bit more serious. He takes the baby oil bottle and casts it aside. Really goes after Dean Ambrose for beating up his friend Kenny Omega. Didn't work out so good for Michael Naka 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 Nakazawa. But afterwards, we did get Moxley with a live mic. Moxley says if there's anybody else... Inside of AEW, who wants to get in the ring and kind of test where they stand inside of the company, he's not a hard man to find. We would get that challenge answered a bit later on in the show. But what did you think of John Moxley just absolutely destroying Michael Nakazawa? 
I, I've, I've really, I've really enjoyed this. And I thought it was, it was perfect how they put this thing together. It really speaks to what makes wrestling so great. It, it's the roller coaster ride. And I was guilty of this as well. You know, I've been one talking about, man, it just seems so wrestling heavy. You know, these more than yet, these masterful video packages that you're putting together. And so they've been laying this on, man, 20 plus minutes. So, you know, even on television, there hasn't been anything, you know, under 11 minutes. And then what do we get here? From John Moxley coming out and doing it in one minute. And what does that really say about Mox? What was the biggest thing he was pissed off about going into that Omega match? Is that it was... Not only was it just a uh, a hardcore, you know, deathmatch style, but it was unsanctioned. It didn't count. This wasn't going to get him any closer to his goal of, of that big money, achieving that big money, cashing in the biggest paychecks, grabbing the AEW championship. So now what's he doing? He's going out here taking care of business. This is under one minute. He kicks his ass, and now he's got a win under his belt. That's one step closer. He moves up in the rankings. He's got another win. It's one notch closer to Jericho. What I really love, too, is the timing. Is was just recently released in an interview where Moxley's talking about how he's pissed at the WWE that they were so terrible of an employer that they forced him to walk away from all that money, which is an indication that he's in this for money. That's exactly what he wants. So now we're getting this, this greedy Moxley who was just driven by, you know what, I left a fat-ass paycheck to come here, and you're holding me down in your own structure. You're not even giving me the tools to succeed. You're putting me in this unsanctioned bullshit. You're, you're making me risk my body. I just I had this blood infection, this MRSA, and you're, and you're putting me into these situations. This is bullshit. I'm going to go out here and take care of business my way and get it done. I'm shooting for the top. I want that top dollar. I want that big paycheck. First thing out of his mouth. That one counts, right? There you go. Great stuff out of John Moxley. The Dark Order defeat the Jurassic Express in nine minutes, but... The big story here, we're actually starting to see a little bit of character development out of Evil Uno and the Dark Order going after Marco's stunt, saying, you know, that Marco's got a ton of potential. And even though with his size, he continues to show all kinds of potential and maybe he should join the Dark Order. And then we see the return of Luchasaurus, Rick Luchasaurus over as shit. I can't believe how over Luchasaurus is. And the way they set this whole thing up was just fantastic by having all these little goons and stuff. Luchasaurus looked like he was nine foot tall coming out there to save Marco and Jungle Jack. You know, uh, Luchasaurus just recently shared that WWE during his tryout suggested that he should go find another profession. Uh, so thankfully, he left the world of sports entertainment and found professional wrestling. I don't know how this guy is made. The moment I laid eyes on him, I fell in love with Luchasaurus. Uh, an incredible size, physique, tremendous athlete. And come on, I mean, he's gimmicked, baby. He's gimmicked out. I mean, it's like a throwback. It's exactly what you want. I mean, it's like all any kind of world or era that you come from, he's representing it a little bit for you. But I thought everybody inside of this segment, personality was developed, stories were told, everybody got over, Dark Order actually gets a win, you get a whole bunch of character development and the return of Luchasaurus, thought this segment was absolutely perfect. We move on to... Hey, you. Go ahead. I was going to say, you know, we were talking about somebody like Marco Stunt, and he's been the target of 
a lot of, well, let's just call it hate. You know, that's what it's been. And really professional wrestling. And obviously, yeah, I mean, he should never be like main eventing or, you know, serious contender and all that. But he's, he's got a spot inside of professional wrestling. There, there is a role for him. But doesn't it speak, you know, is it, doesn't it, it, it speaks to higher volumes if, if you can actually take someone like that that truly shouldn't belong and you're so good in your storytelling and they're so good in, in their character and their work ethic that they get over? I mean, isn't that the point? Absolutely. And I don't have any problem with Marco Stunt as long as he continues to get his ass kicked and lose every match that he's in. I mean, I feel like that should be Marco Stunt's role, whether he gets over or not. And then when Marco Stunt finally gets that big win, it's just going to mean that much more. Absolutely. It, it, it's going to mean a lot for him, but it's probably going to mean more for the individual that puts him over. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe that's how they finally win the tag team championships. Darby Allen defeats Sean Spears and Peter Avalon. This match goes all of four minutes, even for a triple threat, mostly because Joey Janela comes out with his hair braided and starts whipping up on Sean Spears. Huckleberry, did you get a chance to see the promo that Sean Spears and Tully Blanchard cut on Instagram about Joey Janela? Uh, yes, I did. Um, and these guys together again, Hey, you know me, man. I've been singing his praises for a while, and hell, I've been singing years before you and I met. And I absolutely love everything about Sean Spears. This guy's got all the tools, you know, in, in my opinion. Yeah, I think Sean Spears looks great. Hell of a promo out of Sean Spears and Tully Blanchard. Put that on the fucking TV show. That's what we need on the TV show. It's like 90 seconds, and it was fantastic. But the big story. Oh, I got it. Why Arn's beating the shit out of Daniel Tosh. Tully and Spears coming in assault his old ass with a chair. I absolutely approve of that. Darby Allen wins this matchup. He takes out Peter Avalon and then he grabs on the microphone and he says, Moxley, your challenge is accepted. So next week in Indianapolis, we're going to get Darby Allen versus John Moxley and Rick. I am hoping and I am praying to whatever wrestling God there is, Ric Flair that this is just a regular match. I don't want this to turn into a garbage match. I don't want this to turn into an unsanctioned match or a hardcore match or a street fight. None of that bullshit. I just want to see a regular match between Darby Allen and John Moxley. Absolutely. That's it's what I want. You know, I love to even have them come out and try to put a stipulation on this. You know, these guys are they're crazy. They'll, they'll do anything. We're, we're going to connect this thing out. Unsanctioned, blah, 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 and have Moxley just refuse, have him leave. Now, do you think that the John Moxley character would take somebody like a Darby Allen character under his wing like he has a Shota Umino? Or are these two just going to absolutely hate each other to the ends of the earth? That's a good question because they're. I could kind of see it going either way. There's similarities and there's differences. And, you know, when they both kind of talk about how they came up and, you know, they felt kind of as loners and all that and how they, you know, how they felt they had to give themselves to this business to get over, to, to grab opportunities, to even have a chance to run with the ball. You can see that, but, in, but there's so many ways too that you can see where they could clash personality wise. 
it's going to be an interesting dynamic between those two. Nyla Rose squashes Danny Jordan, comes out, looks like a monster, exactly like she should. Then we have uh, Allie. We finally get Allie on TV, and she says, you know, I've been doing what I do on AEW Dark, and it's about time that I do what I do on Dynamite. And then she gets her ass beat by Awesome Kong, accompanied by Brandy Rhodes, I still don't know what in the hell is going on here, but the more of Awesome Kong just beating up random chicks, I guess the more I like it. Yeah, you know, like I was telling you Monday in the locker room, this is one of the truly intriguing stories. It's not AEW, but in professional wrestling, is how they're they're really approaching this with Brandy. You know, this is her on a crusade. This is her righting the wrongs that have, you know, where she's been the victim, where she has been bullied where people have told her she doesn't belong, she doesn't deserve that she's only riding the coattails of her husband. She, she's just there by association. Nothing, you know, her own merits, nothing about her education, her work ethic, her, you know, just her own insight, her own vision. This is all handed to her. She's been bullied. So the way she is viewing the world, this is redemption. And, and really what Kong represents is, is that fire that's in within, within her that she wants to lash out at the world. That's why she's unleashed this monster. But to me, this is, this is one of the deepest stories. I think they're doing a, a great job with this thing. I'm intrigued. I'm invested. I want to see where this thing's going. The moment of the week absolutely had to be MJF and his promo on Cody Rhodes coming out to Cody's entrance, which was such a nice touch. Guy is just an absolute heat magnet. And then he has an exchange with La Champion, Chris Jericho. Huckleberry, this promo was quite possibly the best game of who's on first that we've seen in a very, very long time. Absolutely loved it. And again, this, this speaks volumes to uh, being a master of your craft. And this is what gets over. It, it's not spots. It's not going out there and damn near killing yourself, killing another individual. Uh, it's not about a floor routine or how many you know maneuvers you have in, in your arsenal. It's about persona. It, it's about grabbing that audience pulling them in, letting them run a little bit, and then, bam, you know, cranking on that reel again and pulling them back in. This was this, this was awesome. And I thought the most important thing was MJF looked like he belonged in the ring, on the microphone, going head-to-head with Chris Jericho. That was a huge moment in that kid's career, just because he looked like he belonged. Yeah, I thought it really symbolized. It was almost as if you were, it, it was like Chris Jericho in the ring with himself from 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it, it was, and it was almost like a foreshadowing, man. a foreshadowing of eventually a passing of the torch, if you will. And I mean, they even got a cheap shot in at Hoovy. I mean, how can you go wrong when you get a cheap shot at Hooventude Guerrera, right? Absolutely. The juice is loose fantastic stuff where does this rate on your eras of jericho where what what is going on right now with chris jericho where does it fall in his career is this the best era of jericho it seems like we we continually have this conversation isn't it i mean i mean every every little twist and turn in the world of professional wrestling jericho is right there recreating himself and now he's got to the point where he's at the forefront. 
that he's driving the damn bus. And this is why, you know, he has elevated himself into that upper echelon where, you know, maybe it wasn't that pow, you know, not, not as, you know, directly impactful uh, in that, in that short term, just knockout punches like uh, a Stone Cold, a Rock, a Hogan, uh, but that longevity and what he's met to professional wrestling and what he's brought to the table, all you know, the insight and how he's helped move this business forward and keep it relevant. And I think Jericho's got to be right up there with you know some of those top names of all time. I mean, this run that he is on right now kind of started with the list, right? Like it's all very much been the same run where he went from the list into the festival of friendship into the pain maker over in new Japan, making the jump to AEW. And now the, the law champion with a little bit of the bubbly, like you have gotten three very distinct eras of Jericho all kind of in one run here over the course of the last three to four years. I think it's unquestionably this has got to be the best run of his career, which sounds insane considering that next year it's going to be like 30 years of Jericho. Uh, yeah. And you, so look at a bigger picture here as well. Let's not, let's step away from just what he's doing inside of professional wrestling. It's about how he's remained relevant outside of it, how he's kept that fan base going back a couple of weeks ago, right before full gear when Cody, you know, delivered just, you know, that, that incredible promo where he's talking about Jericho, how Jericho needed those millennial fans. He needed that demographic that AEW is going after Jericho. It, there was a lot of truth in there. You know, there was a ton of truth. It was right on the money. You know, Jericho stayed very relevant. He stayed in touch with those demographics through Fozzie. Uh, he's done television spots, you know, where, you know, game shows that were targeting those demographics one of the hottest podcasts, you know, most popular. He's bringing people what they want. Uh, he's staying in their good graces. He, he's playing this game perfectly. Uh, he's represented the Jericho brand. You know, it, it's, it's been an unreal run for him. Had the crews, you know, bringing people, they actually are interacting with you. I mean, you're right there. You're buddies. He's the, the brand, the brand and the marketing uh, has been nothing short of brilliant. And this all kind of goes back to that opening CM Punk conversation that we were having earlier. If Hunter just says, okay, to having NXT on the Jericho cruise, does any of this happen? Any of it? It's fascinating to think. What if? Probably not at all. Crazy. Pac defeats Hangman Page in the rubber match between the two in AEW. 13 minutes. Huckleberry, we had all kind of thought they were positioning Hangman for another run at La Champion. I think at this point, it clearly has to be Pac. And again, you know, we thought we were leaning towards Hangman, but we, we did come to those. We were talking it out. We weren't going to be surprised if it was Pac uh, because, you know, he's walking that line. And Jericho, if you're not in his circle, you're against him. And that's what they're kind of building here. So you're going to get all this different dynamic. Uh, we're going to have some mayhem and structure. And this goes back to where they're going to let fans kind of, okay, what, what do you want to do? What Tony do you want to bet on? 
I also thought it was a nice touch that, you know, the Pac and Trent match from a couple of weeks ago goes almost 20 minutes and people were freaking out that Pac went 20 minutes with Trent. And I was like, yeah, but that was really Pac just beating the shit out of Trent for 20 minutes and kind of toying with him. Then he goes to full gear. He goes almost 20 minutes with Hangman. Same thing where he's kind of toying with him. Hangman finally gets him this match. 13 minutes. Pac over strong just beats the shit out of hangman page there was absolutely no question about it we're not going to cater to the fans we're not going to pander to people and we're not going to screw around i'm just going to go out there and kick his ass and that's exactly what Pac did just you know another case of kind of sit back and let some things play out the Bucks and the Dead Presidents get into it backstage, something that we don't see very often in AEW, so it feels like it's a big deal when it does happen. And then the brawl spills all the way out into the arena. Now, Huckleberry, we are hearing that Matt Jackson was injured inside of this entire melee, so we're actually going to get Nick Jackson in singles competition next week. It seems as though the feud between the Bucks and the Dead Presidents is just getting underway. Uh, yeah, it's, and this is kind of good. You know, it keeps them kind of occupied. People are going to be invested in it. But then you've got everything else happening within the division. We've got multiple stories developing, and those big-name teams that you know a lot of people fear were going to dominate the, the top of this division, they're occupied. So it's freeing some things up. We, and we got some serious depth. I mean, how many stories do we have in the tech division? Three, four? Yeah. There's a whole lot going on inside of the tag division, inside of AEW. And then, of course, on top of the tag team division is SCU, SoCal Uncensored. Huckleberry, the champ got got. Chris Jericho's undefeated streak in AEW is over. And at whose hands did it fall to? Ah, yes. Good friend of the show, Scorpio Sky. Scorpio Sky can roll a motherfucker up. That's right, he's the new Juice Robinson. He will roll a motherfucker up. And this week, he rolled up Chris Jericho. Jericho absolutely loses his shit. Huckleberry, it seems clear to me at this point, two things. Number one, Scorpio Sky's finishing move is a small package. And number two, we're going to get Scorpio Sky versus Chris Jericho, which I have been calling for for literally weeks at this point. It's finally going to happen, and I assume this is just going to kind of be that interim program before we start off on Jericho's next program going into the next pay-per-view. Well, you got, what you really got to think about here is great. You know, you got Pac position. Uh, Moxley has already made his intentions. You know, he wants that big money. He's going to be racking up those wins. He's already, he's already got some heat with Jericho where they've had some run-ins here. He owes him $15,000. Yeah. That idiot Sky, he's never going to get a shot at that championship. That's what they're doing here with Jericho. If you're not in the inner circle, there's a target on him. And that's the way they're setting it up. They're coming from all, from all angles, from all directions. There's a target on El Champion. And so now there's intrigue. So we've got these quarterly pay-per-views. They're setting up these different programs. We can spread this thing out and get some interesting matches uh, involving the title until we get to those, you know, those big programs. I like it. I like everything about it. I think AEW is doing some really good stuff. They're creating new stars. They're setting up programs for literally everybody. Really good show this week. 
Now let's shift. Let's talk about NXT and the Build the War Games. Huckleberry kind of run through the card here. Leo Rush defeats Angel Garza to retain the NXT Cruiserweight Championship. 12 minutes, 57 seconds. We saw Zia Lee kick Aaliyah's face in in two minutes. Seems like that's uh, kind of a thing now. I guess uh, Aaliyah may actually have a broken orbital, so that might be the last that we see out of her for a while. Uh, Balor versus Riddle. Now official for TakeOver because Johnny injured. That's right, Johnny Gargano is out. Sounds like he has a stinger in his neck. So I don't know what to make of this, man. Like Johnny Gargano seems like he should be a huge part of War Games. Johnny injured. Not going to be anywhere to be found. Well, I guess, hey, Balor didn't lie to us. He is Johnny watching wrestling. Yep, Johnny watches wrestling. Um, Swerve defeats Bronson Reed in 12 minutes. Pete Dunne versus Killian Dane doesn't actually happen as friend of the show Damian Priest interjects himself into that uh, whole setup. I'm guessing that we're going to get a triple threat at TakeOver between those two. And then we have Io Shirai defeating Mia Yim in 20 minutes thanks to Kaylee Ray and Mia Yim taking a nasty bump through a table. She was an absolute bloody mess at the end of this thing. Rick, they're they're trying to do so much on this NXT show, and it just all feels so disjointed because the men's war games match, Undisputed Era versus Tommaso Ciampa, Keith Lee, we saw Dominic Dickhead added into the fold here, and we don't know who that last member is going to be. We're a week away from this show, and we don't even know who's going to be in the match. Well, even outside of that, uh, one of the things that I, that I was that I did like about this program, this week's show, is that they actually spent more time focusing on war games or takeover. Yeah, with the exception of Bailey coming out at the end of that uh, matchup with Io Shirai and Mia Yim to take out Baszler, we didn't have any infection from the main roster on this show. Well, and but I do have a bigger question here. And this is one of my biggest concerns. Without all of that mayhem happening from the red and the blue, did those viewers that didn't see something kick off like what we saw with the uh, the OC or something that they were you know that they were promoting throughout that show? Did those viewers leave NXT? Were we left with just the core NXT base then? There is a little excitement right now because of the lowest common denominator booking where anything can happen, which doesn't, it doesn't, but in the big picture, it doesn't make sense. Are those people turned off because the familiar faces from the red and blue weren't as fluid throughout this program. And they were relying just on the NXT talent, trying to get over their own show. Sure. That core base, there's people that are loyal to NXT. They're going to be there. They're, they're somewhat excited for this takeover because it's a takeover and it's war games to me. Them trying to sell both of these shows has hurt both of these shows. My biggest concern is where does the day after or a few days, the week after the Survivor Series weekend, TakeOver Survivor Series, where does this leave NXT? As a brand, what are they doing going forward? Are people going to keep tuning in here? Are, are they going to... Are they invested enough? Are they going to have to put NXT over at Survivor Series? Are people, okay, maybe they, they won this thing. Maybe we should keep tuning in to see how this thing's going to snowball. Or they get defeated, like, okay, yeah, that is the development. That's what we've been hearing for years. If we hear any, hardly any mention of it, we're done with the program. 
Yeah, those are all valid points, man. And I just, I really don't know. Um, when I look at this show, the Leo Rush and Angel Garza, I'm sorry, nobody cares about that damn cruiserweight championship. I understand it was a good match, but nobody cares. Zia Lee just destroying Aaliyah inside of the ring. Like, that's the kind of thing that if it was on NXT TV, it probably would have been edited out if it was still on the network. Uh, we, we had to set up this whole Balor versus Riddle thing, which actually hurts the War Games match because now you're pulling Matt Riddle out of it. And we don't have a Johnny Gargano anywhere, even though it would make sense for Gargano to join Team Champa with Keith Lee and Dominic Dickhead. But I, from what I'm hearing, that is not going to happen. So they still got to fill in that final spot. But you had to get Balor on the card. I mean, it just... This entire card feels really, really thrown together. And now we have the the women's war games match as well. So we have Baszler, EO, Bianca Belair, and now Kaylee Ray added into the mix against Rhea Ripley, Candice LeRae, Tegan Knox, and maybe Mia Yim. Because that was a really, really nasty, scary fall for Mia Yim. And I don't know if she's going to be cleared. I guess you could squeeze Tony Storm into that. But then you also have this whole situation with Baszler. And it's like, how into war games is Baszler when you know that she's going to have to take on Becky and Bailey the very next night? How into... War Games is the Undisputed Era when it seems like they're going to have to participate in Survivor Series the very next night. Like, it just, it feels so disconnected for me. Well, we'll talking first, and then I got a, a follow-up question I'm going to throw at you here. Uh, but about, especially, you know, any of the War Games match, but really this women's match, I, I really hope this week that we get Regal come out, put his foot down, and say Red and Blue will be banned from the building on oh, Saturday. God. Yeah, I didn't even I think don't, of that. I, I don't want any kind of run and influence, trying to promote that show, trying to do last-minute hype. Let NXT and TakeOver just have that moment, what it's traditionally supposed to be. Don't try to insert, as you're talking about, somebody stepping in to help for a match or something like that. It's last minute to try to drive this triple threat or any of these matches on Sunday night. Leave TakeOver alone, please. Please, WWE. Just let that be. But as you're, you know, you're talking all that out there, what, what comes to mind, I absolutely agree with you 100%. There, I mean, taking Riddle out of the men's war game immediately downgrades that match to me. What would, it, what would you have done for Balor? I don't think he needs that high of a profile with Riddle. I mean, think Balor sells himself at this thing, just the return to takeover. But what would you have done uh, to still have a, a fairly big moment in a match for him without taking Riddle away from war games? It's difficult, man, because when you think of that NXT roster on the babyface side, the babyface side is really, really short right now. You know, like to me, like the matchup with like Johnny Gargano would have been absolutely fine. Outside of that, when you look at the babyface roster inside of NXT, you're you're down to what? Like a, a Tyler Bate? I mean, and that match would have been absolutely fantastic. But it wouldn't have had the heat coming in. But I guess that that would have been my next choice. Would have been Tyler Bate. Uh, you know what I what I really would have gone with. As I said, it doesn't need to be so big. And as long as you pop really that audience. Uh, and the selling points on this match are the War Games matches. You got Fowler there by himself. Just him making a return. 
They signed, I would have done a, a flip the roles from going back to uh, TakeOver UK when Balor showed up. Do Jordan Devlin? Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. That'd be a good matchup, you did, too. You did, you did this to me at my TakeOver. Now your big moment coming back to to this North American TakeOver. Flip those roles. Let those guys go out there and do that again. I mean, but it, it's just that babyface side of the roster right now so beat up when you take out Johnny Gargano and Velveteen Dream. I mean, Dream would have been a good one to slide in there, too. That's why I would have went with, with Jordan there is because you immediately can just go back to the drawing board. Yeah, You haven't you haven't written yourself into a corner. You got him in a big match. People are going to have fun with it. That audience is going to pop for it. You're getting some more exposure for NXT UK. But at the end of the day, you're not booked into a corner. You got a fresh start. Um, as far as the Mia Yim situation goes, which do you like better? Do you like better sliding in Tony Storm or do you put Dakota Kai into that spot? Uh, again, you know, I would one. be in favor. I, I, I would be in favor of getting that UK pop. People are going to love her, but I think Dakota Kai does more for you business wise. Uh, you got to take care of her and watch her going forward here. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's talk about Survivor Series as we kind of wrap things up this week. The card as it stands right now, Rey Mysterio versus Brock Lesnar for the WWE Championship. Becky versus Bailey versus Shayna Baszler, which is probably going to be the match of the night that I absolutely expect Bailey to win. The Viking Raiders versus the New Day and the Undisputed Era, Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish. And then we start getting incredibly convoluted. We're going to have a women's Survivor Series matchup, Raw versus SmackDown versus NXT, but the only team that we actually know at this point is Team SmackDown, which is going to be Sasha Banks, Carmella, Dana Brooke, Lacey Evans, and Nikki Cross. Rick, we still don't know who's on the Raw team or the NXT team. Well, I mean, how can you how can you put together an NXT team? You got them going to war. Right, and, and here's the problem. We're a week away from the fucking show. This is... The feature Survivor Series matchup. How are we supposed to get invested in this thing? I, I almost hope that they don't even announce the NXT women's team because I don't want them to say like and then start telling that story during war games. Like, well, we know like the representatives on this team. There's three of them scoring. You know, they're going to be partnering with two on this other side. How's this dynamic going to work? They got to go represent. I would just be like, you know what? Whoever the hell we can put together, whoever's left standing after war games is going to have to represent us. Like, I, like, no sell that point until you get to Sunday night. I actually, I just cannot believe, we're talking about Survivor Series here, that it infuriates me. There are all these just nonsense triple threat matches inside of the WWE. When was the last time they got one of these right? And now they're putting, what, five or six of them on a card? And then we have two triple threat, five versus five versus five Survivor Series matches? Elimination style at that. 14 people have yes. to be eliminated or, you know, at least 10 have to be eliminated. VT of what the fuck? I mean, who's thought of this? Well, and the best part is, is you know, like this women's match is going to go like 12 minutes and have like, you know, Absolutely. 12, 13 eliminations. And, and then what, what's on stick here? It's just stupid bragging right stuff. And it, who and gives a, a fuck? Like, right. and, 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 yeah. And here's, I mean, if there was actually like something that came of it, sure. But within a week, we're back to a clean slate. Nobody cares about anything. It's not even remembered. We're not even talking about it. 
uh, you know, big race out in, in a conversation thread over in Hameen Media Discussion Group. You know, he's like, these titles should be on the line. I was completely against that because now you're just creating a, a more giant cluster that you can't book your way out of here. But at least for the evening, if this is going to be a, a novelty gimmick pay-per-view, maybe at least put a scoring system in here where, okay, if, you know, let's use the, the mid-tier championships matches. Nakamura, AJ Styles, and Roddy. Um, Nakamura is the first eliminated. He gets zero points. So then AJ goes over on Roddy. So because he lasted second, Roddy gets one, and then AJ would get two or three points. So at least through the evening, you got keep it score at home. Go to WWE.com, go to whatever social media site, download your, your score, you know, like going to baseball when you sit up in the bleachers with the scorebook and you're keeping track or, and then, Hey, once you complete yours, take a screenshot, snap, you know, take a photo, send it in. Well, you know, get some social media activity going on, at least inside of the event, create some excitement for people to participate at home. At this point, none of this is going to mean shit. Yeah. And that's part of my problem with November to begin with. You know, what you were, what you could have done to create something here. We're going to have these printable score sheets. If you keep, if you track this at home and you either, I don't know, if you can do a screenshot or snap a photo, tag us on social media to drive those damn numbers that they love. Uh, but you can get some advertisers involved with that because if they're on the screenshot or on the card or whatever, you got to have them in within two hours after the show so that people aren't just all week going through all the stuff. We're going to give away uh, an exclusive WrestleMania VIP package for four that weekend. I mean, that gives people a little more excited, more reason to sit down and watch this thing or do it like you got to have this in 15 minutes after the show. Or they could just, you know, actually put something on the line so maybe the wrestlers give a fuck. I don't mean, I don't give a fuck if the fans give a shit. At least make it so the wrestlers give a shit so then I can invest in the fucking wrestlers. Like, there's no well, fucking reason. Right? Why, why, why not get ever? I mean, why can't you have fun things going on all around for this thing? What does Dana Brooke get out of this if fucking Team Raw wins? That's what I want to know. What's the fucking point of these goddamn matches? There's not one. So why in the fuck do I care to watch it? It's just so fucking stupid. Like, the very concept of it is just fucking stupid. At least with war games, you have two teams that don't like one another. I can get behind that. This is just fucking stupid. Well, war games, it's blood. It's survival. This is preseason football. But why in the world would Seth Rollins, Drew McIntyre, Kevin Owens, Randy Orton, and Ricochet all want to team up to take on the team of Roman Reigns, Mustafa Ali, props to you for getting your fucking name back, Braun Strowman, former Constable Fuckface King Corbin, and Shorty G versus some conglomeration of an NXT team? Like, who fucking cares? You know, what scre- you know what screams to me is, and everything screams to me is, why wouldn't Randy Orton just say, fuck everybody, I ain't doing this? <laughs> I do hope that the Andrew Bello is right and Kevin Owens defects and goes back to NXT. At least something good could come out of this fucking shit show. AJ Styles takes on Shinsuke Nakamura. Oh yeah, and Roderick Strong. You know, if this was in the Tokyo Dome, Dave Meltzer give it 18 stars. And then we're going to get The Fiend versus Daniel Bryan. Um, 
Rick, we saw a lot of corny shit on SmackDown last night, including a big dog. Yeah, which evidently Vince McMahon thought was fucking hilarious and the Fox executives thought was incredibly fucking stupid. I tend to agree with the Fox executives. You know what else I thought was fucking stupid? Was Bray Wyatt using magic to turn the Universal Championship blue. Yay! It, this, this entire thing, it is. I was getting caught up on SmackDown, going back and watching some stuff I said to you. I was like, you know, some of the matches... And when you're, when you're actually we're concentrating on professional wrestling, it's like okay, this is this is good. You know, this, people are gonna like this. And then they roll out this stuff. You know, they open up with this fucking mascot, this actor, and apparently Vince is, is back there just hooting and hollering and kicking up his feet, having having an absolute uh, hell of a time with. You and I are question, questioning the legitimacy of those reports. Uh, this is just a bunch of bullshit coming out to try to stir the pot here, but. In any case, someone okayed this. It's somewhere at some point, no matter the level of excitement towards it, someone thought this was a good idea. Uh, an absolute train wreck. You can kind of tell where the reports were, you know, always indicating this, where Vince kind of, you know, got his grubby hands all over the uh, the fiend in the funhouse. That has seemed to jump the shark. Uh, that were pretty much what going back to hell in the cell is where that's completely lost steam. Mm-hmm. And I still think they made um, a, a huge mistake in putting that title on him. And it almost sounds like they even themselves were thinking it was just a stopgap. We got to move some numbers, get some merch stuff going here. Oh hell, you just change the title, you know, change change the color of the belt, run some different titles out here. Hell, you're moving more stuff. Hell, what do those things go for? Four fifty, five hundred bucks on shop. Mm-hmm. People are buying them up left and right here. To me, what's really embarrassing is because you, you think those things are going to be fun and silly. They just completely missed the mark. You know, last week, you and I had this debate about comedy and professional wrestling. I still stand by that there's a need for it. it, it it's okay. But it has to be funny. Those things weren't funny. They, they weren't even cute. That's what they were aiming for. What really gets me and is the most embarrassing aspect of this program is something that they think is actually working and they're, they're taking serious to a, to an extent. And that is Baron Corbin himself. It dawned on me this week, you and I, we were were very active in pushing the the idea that Drew McIntyre should have been elevated and for years could have been the Randy Orton to Roman Reigns, John Cena. Well, they're going to remain in house. It's no surprise to us. It's their creations. So Baron Corbin has been put into that position. He, he is going to be that, that top villain to always rival for years to come Roman Reigns. So now here's what I'm getting from Baron Corbin. He's out there in uh, what, like a Game of Thrones robe, uh, this crown. He is your king. I had nothing against the, the king gimmick, the king act, but professional wrestling anywhere else. I want to make the comparison to King Mo. Or, uh, is, is, is King Mo the guy that's just is now going back to MLW or something like that? Yeah, King Mo. You bet. King Mo. Okay, King Mo. Well, I, in my head, I was in my brain, I was thinking of King Mabel. King Mo. You know the difference with him wearing a crown? He represents it like a badass. When I when I look at Baron Corbin, I'm getting proclamations that come off more like premature ejaculation 
instead of someone that's out there preaching about domination. He is a complete disaster and joke in this gimmick. You've got to drop this king of cartoons fucking act. That's all right. He's going to be the king. He rules the ring. That is absolutely fine. But take it fucking serious. That's the biggest joke they got going on. That's your biggest turnoff. You can't get it right. The things you're trying to do serious. So I don't expect you to fucking get the shit you think's going to be silly and fun to get that right. That's the biggest problem with SmackDown. That's why they're going to fail on Fox. And that's why the show sucks. And that's why the sure as hell I'm not going to take my time on a Friday night to sit there and tune in. I didn't even do anything last night. Let's watch something else. You know what else doesn't help? Daniel Bryan versus The Fiend for the Universal Championship. Rick, what has Daniel Bryan done to earn this championship match? I mean, shouldn't Adam Cole have more fucking clout to the Universal Championship at this point than Daniel Bryan? I mean, he pinned him clean in the middle of the fucking ring. You know what this entire thing screamed to me? It was something that you had brought up before this entire move was made. And this sudden flip from Daniel Bryan, you, you were the one that jumped all over this, Jargo. Watching that segment, it was all about yes, no reaction. Yep. Fox wanted the yes guy, not the angry vegan. And now we're elevating Daniel Bryan to this position. Oh, and we're rewarding him for saving our ass when, you know, half the talent was stuck in Saudi Arabia and he bailed out that episode on Fox. You know, so, you know, for putting over Adam Cole, we'll give you a championship match. Elevate him to the main event. Fox executives are happy. You know, they got the two guys they wanted on top. And well, and you know, how they're just... gonna, you know how they're going to twitch this as well. When these numbers are not increasing, because I've already seen that. Numbers decline despite promise of Bray Wyatt and Daniel Bryan. So the numbers decline because you open the show. With King Fuckface for 15, 20 yes. minutes. And a dancing dog. Oh, but it's such good shit. No. No, it's not. And, you know, this, you know, a couple times here I've hinted that, you know, Vince is out of touch. I'm not saying that he should step down. He built this empire. This is his. But you need to have enough sense to step back and put people in position. You listen and lead. See how we bring things around full circle here on the Hitting Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast? You listen and lead. That's what Vince needs to be doing. Yeah, and I'm, it, I'm in my full, I'm 40 years old. When I'm heading up an event for a bunch of kids in their 20s that are 21 through 26, guess who's not coming up with the ideas? My old ass. I'm listening and implementing them. And it's so frustrating when you watch a show like AEW and you see how good a pro wrestling show can be. Because Dynamite was fantastic this week. So that's going to wrap things up for this week's show. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't yet, please hit that subscribe button. Then visit the entire HTM podcast network online, hittingthemarks.com, where you will find the likes of not only this show, but also the Wrestle Podcast with Robin Nelson, Turnbuckle Talk, HTM Sports, HTM Tech, on random occasion, you know, the PW Hustle. And then be sure that you join us over in the locker room this Monday, hackerhameen.podbean.com, where we will have the news from all the latest in professional wrestling. And chances are I'll go on some kind of an angry tangent about something. 
You can find me across all social media platforms at NotJargo, RBV. How do the peeps, the freaks, and the geeks find you? I know we're running a little long, but I'm so hot from the beginning of the show. We have to put that teaser out there. Like, when you don't know when CM Punk's going to show up, you don't know where you're going to get this take from the Browns and the Steelers, from Cincinnati, Rick, from Cleveland, Rick. It might be Monday in the locker room. You might have to wait until Wednesday at hashtag HTM Sports, but it's coming. And I know both of these individuals, they got something's going to make a lot of sense. They got a lot that they want to air about this situation. And then dirty bastards in Pittsburgh. And believe me, I'm not putting them down when I say that, but they are dirty bastards. But until then, you can find me, Rick Vickery, across all social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, and I got to count some of the others. Those are two I keep up with, too. Twitter and Facebook, at The Real RBV. We'll talk to you Monday inside the locker room for now. And we're off like a prom dress. See ya! Watch your fingers. Label me. I don't give up. You bad guy!